welcome to episode 17 of Sharing Life Lessons. This is season 2. I am your host Hamida and I want to bring you stories because stories inspire, stories teach and stories heal. Before I start today's episode, there is something important that I would like to tell my listeners for the first time. I don't filter or pick and choose any story or life lesson that is portrayed in my podcast. I allow the guests to tell their stories as it is because after all, it is their story. In fact, I listen to each of these stories for the first time with you when I'm interviewing the guest. And so the entire show that you hear is spontaneous. My nephew Sohail and I were talking about the show and his advice was that this would be important for the listeners to know so that they are listening to it knowing the fact that the listeners and I are both hearing these stories for the first time. So here it is. You know the premise of my show now. And with that, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Sharing Life Lessons. I am not sure why I did not ever mention this before, but thank you, Sohail, for bringing this to my attention. My guest for today wants to change the world. She is on a mission. And she not only dreams of these missions, but is using her energy and her network to ensure that she's able to accomplish these missions. Fun fact about her. She was the first ever woman mailman of her town. Listeners, let's welcome Kate McCowan. Good morning, Kate. Welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you on my show. Good morning, Hamida. I am delighted to be here. As you know, I think that the sun rises and sets on your brain and your heart. So happy to be here. Kate. I would really like you to start us off by telling us something about yourself, please. Okay. I'm going to start with what I'm trying to do now with what remains of my life. And then I'm going to wrap that around to the men in my life when I was in my 20s, when I was selling heavy industrial equipment. I want to talk about men. Yes. So now I'm trying to transform education so that people are able to do in schools what real entrepreneurs do in the world, which is do real things. Do it out of your love and your passion and your interest. Have mentors and mentor other people. Have ongoing peer support and do stuff. This is my major mission. My second mission right now is to transform the economy from a wage slave economy where everybody seeks a job so you can work for somebody else so they can tell you what to do for the rest of your life to an entrepreneurial economy. And those two things merge. That's what I'm working on now. If you ask me about my life or tell me about yourself, I'm of the generation that I was the first woman who was tested to see if we could do the things they thought only men could do. They were like, okay, we'll let you try. We don't think you'll be able to, but we'll let you try. So I was the first woman mailman in my town. And I was the first woman selling heavy industrial equipment to foundries and steel mills in the Midwest. After that, many things happened. I met W. Edwards Deming, who did systems transformation in Japan. If you think of somebody who transformed an entire country in one generation, only person in living memory who did that was Deming. And I worked with him. I'm quoted in his book. And so my conviction that we could transform a country in one generation to my mind is doable because my mentor did it. When I went to work for We Liberator Fry, we made centrifugal blast equipment and our customers were foundries and steel mills and board shops. And they hired me to be a trainee, to be a salesperson, just because you had to give them a shot. As my as my wonderful boss, Warren Olson said, when I said, what did you think about them putting me in your territory? And he said, hey, he said, I thought, what the hell, I can't lose. If she fails, I'll say, what do you expect? She was a woman, if she succeeds, I'll 
I'll take the credit. <laughs> no lose, right? So, but I, I, the story I want to tell about men who changed me in every way was one, one of the things that, that seems to be a little lost right now is women of my generation, men had to let us in. They had to. There had to be men who said, okay, we're not going to go with that only men. We're going to let you in. And those are the men, I get chills, that change your life when you were my age. And there were lots of them. The ones that I want to talk about is how good they were and how and how good I was with relation to them and with relation to all those, particularly the blue collar people. And yeah. so now if I want to change the world so that we're not wage slaves anymore, it's because I knew the wage slaves who worked on the floor at Caterpillar Tractor at four in the morning. Uh, Dr. Deming quotes me in his book about one of those guys. I knew how bad systems were because I had 120 customers. So in those days, people didn't change jobs. So people would say to me, Katie, you don't know how crazy it is here. I'd say, yes, I do. It's just crazy everywhere. Our systems were just broken. You know, the two things that you want to change are so fascinating and specifically the education system. I know how much that needs to be changed. I have two kids that went through this education system. I, I know why you want to bring that change because as much as they are getting education, I don't think they are learning. And it's the learning that you want to bring into the system. So thank you for even dreaming about that. But talking about men, I'm excited to hear about all the role that various men played in your life. So tell me your story. Thank you. And by the way, dear, I have a very short 20-page book on transforming education, which is free online. If you can put it in whatever... I will put it in the show notes and all the viewers will have access to that. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so by weird quirks of fate, I end up being asked to sell heavy industrial equipment for Wheel of Raider Fry. And they said they had a, a training program and I'm the first woman. So again, I got to prove this. Just like I was a mailman for three years and I did it and I was good and I was willing in those days... There was no notion of sexual harassment. That wasn't even an issue. The role that women like me took on was we have to prove to them that we're good enough, which means we had to be better than everybody else. I mean, I never left a piece of mail behind in the post office ever, ever. <laughs> I, mean, I carried the mail. And, and, and when it was looking for a job, I really wanted to work for CBS. And then Wheelabrator, who made centrifugal blast equipment, kept trying to get me to go to work there. I actually asked a woman who worked at WBBM in Chicago. She was the first woman to sell for CBS. And I'm talking to CBS, right? And meanwhile, Wheelabrator is saying, come work for us. And I remember I'm sitting there having lunch with Lois Grudel in Chicago. And at the time, she was the station manager of WBBM in Chicago, which was a big station. And that was a big first woman job. And I said, you know, I shouldn't ask you this, but I don't have anybody else to ask. You know, there's this other company that's talking to me and here's what it is. And Lois Grudel said, if I were you, instead of being the 50th woman at CBS, I'd go be the first at your little cement company. <laughs> I remember she said that it wasn't a cement company, but you know, she had it, you know, she had it sorted out. Right. So Translate, I decided to go to work for Wheelabrator and I made a list. There were hundreds of people who changed my life there, but I just made a little list right here. And, and for the listeners who, who you, obviously you can't see, but Kate is actually holding up a blue piece of paper with several names on it. 
And here we go. And honey, I don't know. I, I hope I can get this all done. So I'm going to start with just three key guys. One was Brown Sanders. And he was my regional manager when I went to work for Wheeler Brader Fry. And he was beloved. People called him Brownie. There were vulnerable things. Like we knew he had depression issues and we all loved him more. As his salespeople, we used to make a joke. You don't want to lose the sale because Brownie might take the bridge. And he was, and he was beloved. But you got to remember, when I went to work for Wheelabrator, all the men were called Mr. And all the women were called by their first names. When I went to work at Wheelabrator at 22 years old, I was the highest level women in the whole place. And there were 1,500 employees. And I was an experiment. So it was men like Brown Sanders who, when it came time, somebody had to let me go be in their territory. You know, there were five regions in the country. Somebody had to test me out. And if I screwed up, you know, their numbers went down and, you know, it was a thing. And Brown Sanders knew me because I had been in the, in the office at the same time he was our foundry industry manager. So he gets that. He says he's, he wants me to come to his territory. I, I, I kind of want to give you the sense of who he was and how wonderful he was. And then relate that to my next favorite person, Ron Dunsing at Central Foundry Danville, which was my most beloved plant. I love that plant. I love the guys. I can tell stories. And there's a, there's a was moment. Was that a client of yours? Yeah, it was one of my customers. General okay. Central Foundry Danville. Yeah. Okay. At that point, 10,000 people, foundry, three shifts, just like Caterpillar. And Caterpillar was my other, my biggest customer was Caterpillar Tractor. They sent me to Peoria. That was the, the territory because Caterpillar was Wheel Brader's single biggest customer. And Brownie put me in the spot to call on Caterpillar. You know, if I screwed up, that was really bad. And he trusted me enough to put me there. So Brown Sanders, regional manager, let me in. He was a, a wonderful person. The only black person in the field in the entire country was also in Brown Sanders region. Ben Stroud was the only black person in the field. I was the only woman. I guess yeah. Brown in his time was one of those who really believed in diversity and inclusion. I think he did. And it wasn't so much as a belief. It was just, it was the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And that was who he was. And I want to relate a story about how I came to want people to not be wage slaves. It relates to my time in the field when I worked for Brown and I called on Caterpillar Tractor. If you were smart, you always asked for a plant tour. So I took all the plant tours. And what blew me away was that plant tour after plant tour, invariably, invariably, the perfectly nice man who was showing me around would say, this is our machine that does this. This is our CNC machine. They never acknowledged the operator. There is a human being, man, standing next to the equipment and the suit never even acknowledged, did not say hi, not shake hands, not what's your name, not how's your day, not even eye contact. I was appalled. Mm-hmm appalled. Mm -hmm. So when I got my territory, because I was the first woman wandering around all these plants, when I first went to any plant, say Caterpillar, you could tell where I was in the plant by where the cat calls were coming from. I mean, you could just track me wherever they were hooting and woofing. And in those days, my only option was to win them over. That was it. That was the only option I had. And so what I started doing was I was really, really respectful to all of the hourly people. And coming back to Brown Sanders, one of his best friends in the world was a guy named Jim Hardway, who was the chief guy at Caterpillar. And Brownie said to me one day, he said, you know, Jim Hardway said the millwrights will turn cartwheels for Katie. 
I went from cat calls to cartwheels. You could still tell where I was in the plant, but now they'd be yelling, hey, Katie, and I'd be yelling, Joe, you're keeping that thing running, and you know, what steel did you decide to weld to? Was it the 12 or the 14, you know, and we'd talk. So what I learned there, I, I think there are terrible, hideous predators in the world, and they hit on people. That's just not what I'm talking about. There was nothing I could have done that would have made Harvey Weinstein any nicer. No. But there was this other level of stuff that was about attention. It was about power. You know, if you were an hourly worker, everybody treated you like shit. And the two people I want to mention to you most at Caterpillar Tractor are Cliff LeMaster, who was the hourly guy, who was the chief maintenance hourly guy for okay. a piece of equipment called Big Bertha. This machine was so big and obnoxious and difficult that they named it Big Bertha. So Brown Sanders he made it possible for me to have a chance. And by the third, I'm bragging now, but this matters. I was a 22 year old woman English major selling to foundries and steel mills. And theoretically I justified our high price by service. What I did do is I listened all the time. And the other thing is I worked really hard. I went in on third shift in the middle of the night in the cold, you know, I'd hack the ice off my windshield and drive two hours to central foundry park at the edge of the parking lot, walk through the snow, we had snow then, up to the guard shack where the guard would call Marv Rutherford, who was one of my two key guys at General Motors, and say, she's here, and Marv would send somebody out, and I would go in and I would hang out with the third shift maintenance guys, who I loved. But by the time I saw the purchasing agent, Vic Vernace, who, mm -hmm. as it turns out, bought nothing from us when I got the, the job and bought everything from us, by the time I'd been there a while, he knew that I didn't do what all the guys did, which was pull up, park in the visitor parking lot, walk in with my briefcase. He knew I'd hacked the ice off my windshield, driven there, been there by six in the morning, been in the plant with the third shift guys, hung out. He knew, and that made a big difference. And so what I was able to do to succeed was basically show up all three shifts, all levels from plant manager to floor suite, and I listened. And that was how I saw systems problems. I actually want to go to step back a bit. And I don't know why I'm even asking this, but I just hmm. have this need to ask. You cool. said you used to go at 6 a.m. and hang out with the third shift four men. And they were all men. And you were the mm -hmm. only woman there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Were you never mm -hmm. afraid for your safety and security? Good question. I count myself as extremely, ex more than I can say, lucky that I was never physically hurt in any way. Nobody ever actually said, you know, blow me or you don't get the order. I never had that choice to make. And I got to tell you, when you think that if you don't succeed, your gender has no chance. I mean, if somebody had said, blow me, you know, I might, you know, you know, you take one for the ship. And I'm sure there are plenty of women who did. But anyway, that said, yeah. I was uh, not. Get it. You were lucky. I was lucky. And a couple of things. One time, and he, this is funny, this goes back to Caterpillar again in the story maybe we'll get to tell. First shift foreman at Caterpillar. One day, I'm climbing up a ladder. I had coveralls on. And he just grabbed my ass, both hands. And I looked down at him and I said, having trouble holding onto the rungs, are we? And I laughed and he left, you know, we never spoke of it. He never did it again. And when I needed him to come through for me, he absolutely did. You know, wouldn't have worked for Harvey Weinstein. A joke wouldn't have gotten you past it. Mm -hmm. did so many times it did and it was the only recourse I had you know what I mean it was one of the things when I started working for them I basically turned every man in the place into my father or my brother 
you know, that was the energy that I held. And either way, they're supposed to look out for you, not screw you. So Brown Sanders is my regional manager. Before they gave me my territory, they sent me out in the field for three months with Denny Johnson, who was our number one sales guy. And I rode around with Denny. Denny was plump. He was affectionately known in the company as the beach ball with arms. Denny was so good. He taught me all the ropes. He taught me how to deal with your expense report, your call report. I, I could go on about what a good friend he was. He taught me how to deal with the politics of the company. But before they gave me my territory, it had included both Caterpillar Tractor, who was our biggest customer, and General Motors Central Foundry in Danville, Illinois. And so one day Brownie calls me and says, Katie, you know, when we give you the territory, we're going to take Central Foundry out and give it to Frank Filkins. We already have Caterpillar. It's enough. I was very ambitious. So I wanted to keep it in my territory. And Denny, I remember Denny saying, Katie, he said, it's known as a Pangborn House account. That was our competitor. He said, get rid of it. All you do is if you keep it, is it'll up your quotas and make you look bad. Be glad that it's gone. We get no business there. So I was so young and ambitious and had so much to prove. I still thought maybe. I got my territory in September. They're shifting the central foundry out in January. So I think, well, if I get an order between September and January, maybe I can keep this account. We get no business there. So I call Victor Nace, who is the purchasing guy, and I say, hi, I'm the new real operator person, so forth. And he says, well, before you talk to me, there's one person you got to talk to. His name is Ron Dunsing. So you have to talk to Ron. Now, you have to know who Ron was. One of his nicknames was Rotten Ronnie. So I call Ron and he tells me later, he said, I hate salesmen, but I decided I would give you a half an hour because you were a woman. I wanted to see what you were like. Ron and I, the first day we met, we sat in the cafeteria at General Motors Central Foundry Danville and we talked about the nature of the universe for four hours, four hours. Nature of the universe. Rhonda. So obviously you clicked right away with that. Yeah. About a topic that really was of great interest to both uh -huh. of us. So I meet Victor Nice after four hours. Ron calls says she's okay. <laughs> let her in. And and see, this is men. They let you in. He let me in. Uh-huh. Let me in. The guy who came after me never sold them anything. They never let him in. Never let him in. He was a perfectly nice guy. I go see Vic, who's the purchasing guy, and he said, I buy quarterly. He said, I've already placed my order for this quarter. You know, January, it's in Frank Filton's territory. So I don't know if I went back again, but I wrote Ron Dunsing a, a letter and I sent him a wheelabrator tie. I said, they're taking out of my territory. Frank Filkins is a good guy. He'll take good care of you. Send this to Ron Dunsing. Fast forward about a year and a half and Brownie calls me. He says, Katie, we're putting Central Foundry back in your territory. And I said, okay. And Brownie said, don't you want to know why? And I said, okay, why? And he said, General Motors Central Foundry Danville was buying a piece of equipment. They were going to buy it from us or our competitor. The team from Wheelabrator, my company, and Central Foundry were at another automotive plant in Detroit looking at a somewhat similar piece of equipment. So the lead guy for our side was Brownie, my boss, because it was coming into his region. The lead decision maker for what machine to buy for Central Foundry Danville was Ron Dunsing. I guessed it. You guessed it, right? So Brownie says to me, in the end, everybody's gone. The two of them are standing there in front of this piece of equipment. And Ron says to Brownie, so what did you guys do with Katie? And Brownie said, oh, Caterpillar, no mess, no fuss. And Ron says, she's the only wheelabrator person who ever tried to do anything for us. Brownie says, are you saying you'd like Katie back in your territory? And Ron said, what do you think I'm saying? That's oh. such a fascinating story. Great. 
so wonderful. So, and the cool thing also, Frank was getting promoted, which was good. So it wasn't an insult to him. They never let him in. They never spent a nickel with Frank Wilkins and he was an experienced good guy, never let him in. So then what happens is I'm going now, here's where Marv Ruffelford comes in. So now Ron lets me in. The key people who are gonna buy from me is the purchasing guy, but the third shift maintenance and production people tell him what's the best product, what lasts longest, what do we like to use? That comes from those guys and that's third shift. And so why was I there at third shift, hacking the snow off, hanging out, and nobody else did this. I would be there and I would hang out with those guys because they told the purchasing guy, bye. And so what happened is once they let me in, it took a little time, but Marv Rethelford was the maintenance foreman who was in charge of most of our equipment in that plant. So now I'm back. And I'm calling on these guys now. The third shift, the third shift maintenance department at General Motors was one of the funniest group of people I ever met in my whole life. I totally love these guys. Apparently, there had been a Russian who worked there, and so everybody had like three names. And so there was like the hook nose from Wheelville, fast fucking Billy. Everybody had names, and it was when you got them on the horn when the dispatch called, like, can you put, can you send me fast fucking or rotten Ronnie? Anyway, they all had names, and I loved it. So one day, the guys said to me, Katie, you want to go bowling with us? And I'm like, oh, and my name was Wheel Breeder Kate. If I had another name, I don't know about it. They never said it, but I might have. But my one name was Wheel Breeder Kate. I'll be very surprised if you didn't have another name. I would be I'm surprised sure you did. if I didn't have another name, and I wouldn't have minded. And it probably had to do with anatomical accoutrements. So I got to tell you the bowling story, because this is so those guys. You know, that plan is gone now. I mean, it's Greenfield, and it grieves me. I, I remember those days, and I love those people. So I go bowling with the guys. And this is 7.30 in the morning. We're coming off third shift. I look at the roster, and their names are fast fucking, hook nose, starving. They have their names, and their jackets. Their bowling team, they have official jackets, you know, the sleeves and thing. And the name of their bowling team is Athholes, A-T-H-W-H-O-L-E-S. So Katie, you want to know why we call our bowling team the Athholes? I said, oh yeah. He said, you know how our superintendent Brian has a lisp? I said, yeah. He said, well, he's always saying, you guys are a bunch of Athholes. Bowling team and the Athholes. Okay. End of story. Love these guys. So end of story. Marv Ruffelford did a study that proved that my product lasted 8% longer than the other guys, which allowed Vic Vernace, who wanted to buy from me anyway, to do that. Is it true? Maybe. But all Marv had to do was put my stuff in the right machine, and he, he could have made that case for me without thinking twice. You know what I mean? I don't know what happened, but that allowed me to get all the business. Fast forward 2003. I'm teaching at Fordham Grad School of Business. One of my students is at GM Finance. I say, could you find Vic Vernace? Because he was young. You know, was he still there? So I would go to Central Foundry every two weeks. And I'd call him. Most days he would see me and we'd talk. But some days, but some days he would be busy. And he'd say, look, I'm too busy to see you today, but give me my joke. And I always had a joke. So fast forward 2003, teaching at Fordham, Josh Lavender. I say, could you find Vic Vernace? Sure enough, he found Vic, who was the plant manager at a GM plant in Cleveland. And Josh wrote to him, do you remember Wheel of Breeder Kate? And he wrote back, he said, of course I remember Kate. And he said, is she still wearing her spiffy hard hat and coveralls to class? Because that was my shtick. I never walked into a plant without hard hat and coveralls. Even if I wasn't working, I never walked in without those things. And, and he wrote to Josh, he said, you know, give her my very best. Good luck in your career. Signs off, Vic Vernace. And then he writes, P.S. Must be a hell of a class. <laughs> And again, he was a purchasing guy. He let me in. Every one of those people let me in. It must feel good to you that he remembered you after so many years. So many years.
Yeah. This was such a good story. And you must have had so many life lessons out of this. But tell me, what is the life lesson that you would like to share with the listeners? The life lesson for me that stayed with me all my life was if you don't have property, you don't have power. All those blue collar people who were treated like crap. And that doesn't mean it was it was a good life if you were a white collar person or a pink collar person either. W- was that I always felt like if you could become an entrepreneur rather than somebody who had depend on somebody to give you a paycheck, you had more freedom. And so I became an entrepreneur. If you're an entrepreneur, you have discretion. So my goal is to have people be entrepreneurs, part-time, full-time, yay team, either way, side hustle, full-time hustle, way to the side hustle. So going back to those days, what got me in was deep and abiding respect for people. And what else got me in was being interested deeply in the nature of the universe. And the third thing, some sort of gratitude for how lucky I was that nothing bad ever happened to me. Many, many good things did. Yeah. Kate, this was fascinating talking to you. Thank you for sharing all your stories. The first woman mailman in her town and the first ever woman selling industrial machinery. I am in awe of you. Thank you, Kate. Great to have you on the show and stay safe. My honor, sweetie. Take care. Kate had so many more wonderful stories to tell, but we ran out of time. As you heard, Kate became the first woman to sell heavy industrial equipment to big companies, and she was successful at that, and she attributed that success success to three reasons. One, her own hard work. Two, she listened, and she respected everyone, especially the blue-collar workers. And three, she had these men in her life who let her in. Or do you have anybody in your life who is letting you in, and are you appreciating them? Let's take this a step step further. Are you letting others in if you have the power to do so? I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I will bring you another episode of Sharing Life Lessons next Wednesday. Until then, be strong, be happy, and be well. (laughs) 